Are you glad to be here today? These lights are much brighter than I remembered them. How do you do this every week? Goodness gracious, i got to have my shades. How y'all doing? Raise your hand if you'd rather be at home in bed. Hopefully nobody because you're here. You know how I know you'd rather be here? Because you're here. We do what we want, don't we? When words and actions disagree, I think we can always believe the actions, don't you? That's a hard standard, but I try to live by it. Now, in preparation for this, you know, obviously, Pastor Chad, I'm always uh, grateful and honored to have the opportunity to speak and to teach the Word of God. Uh, it's my calling. It's my passion. And I've had the, had the privilege of doing it in some really interesting places, one of the best churches I've ever preached in is outside overlooking the Himalaya Mountains in Nepal. It's the most beautiful cathedral I've ever had the opportunity to speak in. But I love speaking on this subject, and my problem, I'm envious of a lot of other preachers and teachers because they seem to have this way of just like whittling it down to the essence. And me, I'm an overthinker. I'm a, I'm like all or nothing kind of guy. So anytime I, I want to talk about a subject, I want to put everything into it. So it's always difficult, you know, to try to cram a six to ten week series into a 30 minute sermon. If you've ever spoken, I'm sure you can relate to that. But I want to get right into, uh, I want to get right into this, this passage. Oh, thank you. Did you open this? Did you drink out of it? Okay. I want to go straight to Acts 19. If you have your Bible, say amen. Uh, you can find it with me if you'd like. Acts 19. I read out of the ESV. Is that okay? If the King James is good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. I always use that joke. Nobody ever gets it. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, say disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Past tense. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you've already done in this place. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit. We thank you for the manifestation of your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to worship together freely and boldly in your name. I thank you for the giving of your word. Help, it, help us understand your word. Let the seed sown today take root. Let it grow up and be fruitful in our lives. Let everything said today be accurate, concise, and understandable. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. <clears throat> I find it unfortunate that this subject is often, 
has almost become a taboo in, in uh, contemporary Christian circles, even, I find, among some uh, quote-unquote spirit-filled congregations. Uh, people who ostensibly believe in the outpouring of the spirit with, uh, with signs following, it's become kind of a, a thing that we don't talk about very much. And I'm going to get into some of that today, the reasons why I believe that that is, some of the reasons. And I'm going to talk about, from the Bible, why we should. Is that okay? Here's a quote that uh, Pastor Chad used last week. I'm, I'm so glad that he, he already started teaching on, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he asked me if I was available for this Sunday two or three weeks ago, first thought that came to my mind, I don't know if it was God or just, you know, it's what I like to talk about. I said, can I preach on spirit baptism? He's like, Sure. He's like, that's what I'm preaching about this Sunday. I'm like, cool, must be God. So he used this quote uh, in setting the stage for this that I'm going to uh, reiterate, and I'm going I'm to repeat. Go ahead and put that A.W. Tozer quote up, please. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, however, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Say amen, somebody. See, in today's church, it, you know, we don't really have to have the Holy Spirit to stand up here in some skinny jeans with holes and wear your hat backwards and lead worship. You don't have to have the Holy Spirit to put up a bounce house and, and draw a crowd. I'm not against those things. I'm not saying those things are bad. You don't have to have the Holy Spirit to have a potluck dinner. Or to read the latest and greatest bestseller in the Christian bookstore and have a six-week study on it. I'm not against those things, and I'm not saying that God can't use those things and doesn't use those things. But what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is not required for those things. Is that okay to say? Does that mess with anybody's theology? If it does, this is going to be a long sermon. <laughs> We're just getting started. But when you go and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. How are you going to do that by being all cute on the stage? How are you going to do that without the power of the living God? The God that created the universe, that spoke time in itself into existence, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, how are you going in His name without the empowerment of His Spirit? How are you going to stand up and boldly proclaim to people who you know could put you in jail or kill you or worse, but say, hey, yeah, guys, y'all are all wrong. There's only one name given among, among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. There's only one name, the name of Jesus. It's funny, you can say any other name, you can claim any other worldview, any other belief, any other leader, anything is tolerated until you say the name of Jesus. But to have that boldness, that doesn't come without the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. So I find it unfortunate where we are today. I believe, and here's the funny thing about that quote, Tozer wrote that like in the 50s. What would he say 70 years later? 
for that matter, how many letters would Paul be writing if he were alive today? That dude would be busy. Hope he has a laptop. But for the first church, and for all of what we call the New Testament, it was hugely important. Because, put this next one up, Acts 1, 4, uh, uh, Acts 1, 4. Remember, Jesus told them this right before he ascended into heaven. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, somebody say that, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power. Is will receive, is that future, present, or, or past? That's future tense, meaning it has not yet occurred. These were the disciples. They were the ones that walked and talked with him for three years in his public ministry. These were the ones that were there as he was being questioned and as he was crucified. These are the ones that walked with him and testified to the resurrection for 40 days. Do you remember that? A lot of people overlooked that fact that it wasn't just like he arose from the grave and automatically went to heaven. He taught his disciples at a new level for 40 days after he had arisen from the grave, resurrected, put on immortality, a new body, and he taught them from what we call the Old Testament. He just called Bible. He taught them from the Hebrew Scriptures everything concerning himself for 40 days. But still, he said, you will. A future occurrence had to happen. But you will receive power when what? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, if you get nothing else from this, I, I really want to get this across. The language of the New Testament assumes that you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every book written, every letter that Paul wrote, it assumes that you are already understanding this. There's not a single book of the New Testament that seeks to set out a systematic theology. They're all letters addressing something, a certain topic to a certain group. And they are scripture, we can draw from it, obviously. But as far as a systematic theology, it doesn't exist. But they, the writers of the New Testament had all experienced this. They assumed their readers had all experienced this. It was important to them. So then, go to this next question. Here's the big question I have for you today. Why don't we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's a, you, know what, you need to come up here and preach my sermon. You're like three points ahead of me. It's partly rhetorical, but, you know, let's think about it. Why don't we, in the church today, in the American 21st century church, we have it all figured out, right? We've got our logos in place, our graphics. we got our social media. We record ourselves on, on TikTok, and we're going to have a social. we got everything figured out except for this one very basic thing that, that Jesus, Yeshua, told his disciples to wait for. He told them to wait. 
So why don't we? Well, I have, I think there's several reasons, but I want to talk about three main ones. The first one is fear. I think there's a lot of fear surrounding this subject. Fear of, as my wife pointed out, you know, fear of the unknown. She came from a denominational background that didn't teach this, didn't believe in it, and they actually taught against it. So there was fear of the unknown. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? What happens? What is this thing that we're talking about? There's fear of weirdness. I don't, I don't care who you are. I, I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but this whole spirit baptism, speaking in tongues thing, it's weird. But you want to know what else is weird? That this alien life force called God, a spirit, can come to earth and take on the form of man, shed his innocent blood, and by, and by that, by putting our faith in that, we can be saved. That's kind of weird too. When he said, you have no life in you if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, that's kind of weird. This whole thing that we believe is weird. Why are we getting freaked out at tongues? If it's Bible, I want it. I don't care if it's weird. I don't care if it's accepted. If it's Bible, I want it. So I think there's a lot of fear. The second reason that I think that a lot of times we don't receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore like we used to is there has, there has settled in a sort of indifference to it. And here's what I mean. I think people have this, this working paradigm that I'm good. I got all I need. You know, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's, you know, if, if they don't think it's weird, which most people do, then it's like, oh, well, that's, that's AP English. That's honors class. That's advanced stuff. I'm good being in, in regular math. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm okay. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. It's all good. Let those other, let the, let the good students, they can have that all they want. They can go a step above and beyond and all is well. Right? Can you relate to that in yourself, if not in other people? I think there's a, a sort of indifference. They don't, they're, they, people are good where they're at. And then the third reason that I want to mention today, and again, there's, there's several that we could talk about. But I want to group a lot, of, a lot of it into this last category, ignorance. Now, if you, if you're not, if you didn't already know, ignorance is not stupidity. I'm not saying that it's a lack of intelligence. I'm not saying people are stupid if they don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's a difference in ignorant and stupid. I'm not calling anybody stupid. To be ignorant means you're unaware. And I think there's a lot of unawareness. There is a distinct lack of awareness, of understanding in the church today, even among so-called charismatic and spirit-filled movements there's a lack of understanding about this critical doctrine. There's been bad teaching. There's been wrong teaching. There's been incomplete teaching. Or there's been no teaching. I, am glad, I cannot be in a ministry. I cannot go to a church. I cannot base my ministry out of any local assembly that does not believe, practice, and teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It is important. It is God's will. But I think there's been a lot of, of 
just bad information surrounding this. There's a lot of incorrect doctrine, incorrect teaching, and so we just stay away from it. There's some people who don't even know that it exists. They don't even, just like, just like we read, we don't even know, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? What are you talking about? We didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. I find that that is a lot of Christians today. What are you talking about? I got everything I needed when I came down to the altar and said a prayer. I cried a tear, you know, and signed my name on the dotted line. Even got Duncan water the next Sunday. I'm good. They've never heard about this wait until you be endued with power. So they don't want it. They don't need it. They don't know about it. They don't understand it. I want to give some very simple propositions today. I want to, I want to make some assertions that I feel 100% comfortable with backing up from the Bible. Any topic in the Bible, there's lots of opinions. You know, when you, when you have lunch with two people, or when you have lunch with somebody else, there's two people, you can have three or four different opinions represented at that one lunch. I don't agree with what anybody, with 100% of what anybody teaches, and that includes myself. I go back and listen to things I, I taught or, or read things that I wrote a decade ago, and I'm like, who was that dude? Read a book, man. Like, what are you talking about? But I, I, I feel 100% confident in making these assertions as gospel truth because they come directly from the Bible. You ready for the first one? Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That is his purpose. Pastor Chad, I loved it. He must have been stealing some of my sermon notes. He must have hacked my computer or something. <laughs> because he pointed out a very crucial thing that we all need to understand. All four Gospels record this one reality. Do you re have you ever studied the Gospels, done a comparative study of the Gospels to see side by side what all four of them actually do have in common? Or the things that all four of them emphasize? Did you know that even the birth of Jesus, which we find rather important these days, even the birth of Jesus is only mentioned in two out of the four. So if all four writers of the same story say, hey, you might want to pay attention to this. If they're all saying the same thing, we should probably listen up. Matthew 3.11. I'm going to go through these quickly. I baptize you. This is John the Baptist speaking, the rightful high priest. If you study the, the lineage of the genealogies of the high priest. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's go to Mark. Chapter 1, and he preached, again speaking of John the Baptist, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Next one, Luke 3.16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but, it, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will Baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Last one, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Well, that's deep. I would love to take a rabbit trail there, but I'm not going to. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, not as a, not a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. Somebody say amen. But like a dove, that's how he described it. But descended from heaven like a dove, and it, and it uh, remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus came to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is a very simple proclamation that a lot of people have trouble with. But it's Bible. I want to make a second assertion today. The apostles experienced and emphasized spirit baptism. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. I see them all as synonymous. All these different ways of saying the same thing. Spirit baptism matters. As, as I grew up, I grew up in like around old school, so you need the Holy Ghost. Now we say spirit baptism because, it's, I don't know, it just sounds nicer or something. But I'll say it like the old, you need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. So the apostles experienced and emphasized spirit baptism. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. So in Acts 1, we saw that Jesus told them to wait. He gave them the great commission. He, he sent them out. But he said, before you do any of that, you need something. You need power. So now, fast forward to Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived... That's an annual feast day. The very first one was at Mount Sinai at the giving of, of the instruction to Moses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit... And began to speak in other tongues as the, uh-oh, that word. To speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You skip down later in the chapter after Peter preaches the, the first sermon that we have, have record of. And Acts 2.38, he said to them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So he, they experienced this thing that we're talking about. Jesus told them to wait. They waited. And then the very next chapter, this is what happens. This is what's recorded. I always find it interesting. I don't remember if I have this in my notes later on. If it does, you'll get a double blessing. Uh, but I'll mention it here. I always find it interesting. Just a few days prior, they were huddled together in secret because they were afraid of what the religious leaders, the, 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 the temple system at that time had become so corrupted by money and power and politics. Thank God politics and religion don't mix anymore. 
but they were cowering in fear just a few days prior. And then you read all the stuff that I just skipped in Acts chapter 2. Peter lays it out. He lays it out. The very people that they were hiding from, he now boldly stands. I believe, this is a different subject, you don't have to agree with me. I believe they were in the temple colonnade. which Wherever they were, there was a, a bunch of people around listening to him. And he said, the very, you know, the very thing that he was afraid to let out, now he was boldly proclaiming. What was the difference? He had received power. And I said at the beginning, you know, anytime you speak about a subject, you want to throw in everything. You ever done that word search on power? There's two different types of power and authority mentioned in, in the Greek. Maybe we can do that some other time, not today. But they experienced this gift. Acts 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Remember the context is he was, he was preaching to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a God-fearing Gentile. A God-fearer or a devout man was somebody that had attached themselves to the Jewish God but had not gone through the full uh, proselytizing conversion process. So they understood who, who the God of Israel was. They had attached themselves to that God, but they weren't full Jewish converts. Does that, does that make sense? So that's who Cornelius was. He was a Gentile. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Four. Everybody say four. four. What's another word for four? Not quattro. Because. Everybody say because. Because they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, I don't care what your theology is. If you agree, disagree with my, I don't care. I'm just reading Bible. For Peter and those apostles, the sign that they knew in this circumstance, maybe it's not applicable everywhere, but at least in Acts chapter 10, the way that they knew that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out was what? Because they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 11. Is it okay that I read the Bible this morning? I've got a lot of text. As I began to speak, this is Peter reporting back to the Jerusalem council what, what had happened uh, among the Gentiles. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's connecting these two events. It's not Sean's theology. It's not Sean's doctrine. That's Bible. That's what Peter said. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Here's one more on this, on this subject about the apostles. Remember, we're on assertion number two, that the, the apostles experienced and emphasized the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, I love this story. I've lived this story. 
in my missionary journeys. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, meaning water baptism. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they believed the word, they received it, they acted on it, they were baptized in water. They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but, then, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I could stop right here, and I have many times. I've preached this subject over and over in many different contexts to, uh, to friendly audiences, to hostile audiences, to, to audiences with no frame of reference, what I'm talking about. I love this because it's the gift of the Father. It's the promise that's available to all of us. I could stop right here and sermonize and just t- tell you, there's more for you. If you have received the word of God for yourself, if you have believed the word of God, and you have even taken the step of repentance, dying to self, identifying with the death of Jesus in the waters of baptism, the burial of Jesus, but you've stopped there, God has more for you. I'm not saying you're saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying, you're go- I'm not saying that. I'm saying God has more for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you really need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God has more for us. If, if you have not, if you identify with Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 19 that we started out with, what are you talking about, have I received the Holy Spirit since I believed? I've been going to church for years. That's great. Praise God. I am 100% sincere when I say that. If it came across sarcastic, I wasn't being sarcastic. I praise God. I thank God for every act that anybody commits that takes them closer to a relationship with God. And I'm saying there's more. We don't just, it's not just like you, you get in, you get a fire insurance policy, you, you get a get out of jail free card, and then you just go back to living however you live. No, God wants to take you from glory to glory. His mercies are new every morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He has so much for us if we decide to let him give it to us. Amen. So I have a question, another question. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit was central to the mission and the message of both Jesus and his apostles, shouldn't we at least care about it a little bit? Shouldn't we, you know, talk about it from time to time, not have to whisper and say, Holy Spirit? You know, like, shouldn't we, shouldn't we be able to boldly talk about it? Shouldn't we at least pique our interest in saying, if God has more for me, I'm, I want it. I don't care who says what. If it's in the Bible, I want it. Third assertion, the baptism of the Holy Spirit equips and empowers us. Going back to where we started, Acts 1.8 says it very simply right here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He was taught, again, he was talking to his disciples. He spent so much time with them, but he, even they were not yet ready. Even they had not yet experienced this power that he's talking about. 
That should give us pause. That should make us question. That should make us want it, wonder and want it. You will receive power. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers us, equips us. The, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints concerning the will of God. Or according to the will of God. I mislabeled this one. I apologize. The next one is from Jude. How many chapters are in Jude? That's, what, that's why the first of the year when I start a reading plan, I'm, I'm going to go through the whole Bible in one year. I always like to start with Jude. Get the one chapters out of the way. First John, I mean, second John, third John, you know, all those. Jude's a good place to start your reading plan. I read a whole book of the Bible today. So I apologize for mislabeling it, but it is Jude, uh, I think, verse 20. Or, okay. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How does Jude say that we build ourselves up? By praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Paul has quite a bit to say on this subject. Paul is often taken out of context, misunderstood. But what I find interesting is that even in 2 Peter, Peter's letter says, even at that time, Paul was misunderstood. Did you, have you read that, that phrase in, in 2 Peter? That even at that time, while, while books of the Bible were still being written, people were misunderstanding Paul. Now, 2,000 years later, we've got him all figured out with no problems. We never misunderstand him. Okay. Now, that's sarcasm. 1 Corinthians 14. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Next one, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Okay? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And here's one that's really funny. It says it really plain. Don't forbid to speak in tongues. Yet we hide it. We're scared of it. It freaks us out. We're embarrassed of it. We're ashamed of it. And I get it. I, I, I really do. I've seen a lot of abuses. I've seen a lot of foolishness go on. It's no wonder. I, I'm not dogging anybody who feels that way because I get it. I've seen a lot of stuff go on in the name of Holy Spirit that there was nothing holy or spiritual about it. So I get it. There's been a lot of abuses. It's turned people away. I hate it when it's represented in, in TV. Uh, the weird one, the bad guy is always the weird Christian, the extremist one, the, the one that talks in tongues and, you know, handles snakes. We don't handle snakes. Like, <laughs> we're not that type. We don't do that. We don't believe in it. Right, Chad? Right? Okay. Had to make sure that I wasn't. We're not into the, We don't play that. 
But tongues, here, here's, a, here's an interesting thing. We have such a problem with tongues for all the reasons mentioned and many more. But do you realize how many times it's mentioned in the New Testament? About 50. How many times is communion mentioned? A handful. Three or four, depending on if you want to count some allusions to it. We have zero problem getting out our little thimble of grape juice and our little styrofoam wafer. We have no problem. Everybody feels completely at ease and just at home. And it's only mentioned three times, three or four times in our Bible. But when it comes to the topic of tongue, oh, that's extremist. That's not for us today. That was just for back then. Isn't that interesting? I find it interesting. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We all know this one. I'm going to go through it quickly. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, uh, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not with the idiots in Washington. And idiots in Washington wear both blue and red. Say amen, somebody. They wear both blue and red. There's a lot of idiots in Washington. But our fight isn't with them. Our fight is with the spirits that control them without their knowledge. They don't even know they're being controlled. Our fight is spiritual is, is the point. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as, uh, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There it is. This is the one in bold. This is what I've read all that to get at. Praying sometimes. Praying once in a while. Praying one time at youth camp when you felt really emotional. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. Why are we so scared of praying in the spirit? Why are we so scared of the work of the Holy Ghost when Jesus came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit? It's Bible. It's Bible. I'm, I'm almost done. Who will give, give me 10 minutes? I got 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I love using that one. The only problem is now I can't use it here again. That won't stop me. Okay. Let's talk about how to receive. What are the biblical requirements, the prerequisites for receiving this? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Because, you know, I have a lot of compassion and sympathy. I can relate to people who have grown up hearing this kind of teaching but have not yet experienced it for themselves. They can often feel ostracized. They can feel otherized, feel like something's wrong. And there is a legitimate concern, like, why, what do I have to do? And maybe there's more than one. Maybe there's one, maybe there's more than one in here that fits that, that category today. And I, I have prayed all week long that it would be helpful for somebody in that situation. So it's like, okay, Sean, yeah, you don't have to beat me over the head with it. I, I get it. It's Bible. I want it. I want everything that God has for me, but I don't know how. I've been searching for years, and I, I don't, 
I don't want to, I don't want you to raise your hand, but maybe that's you. I think the Bible is very clear that the first prerequisite is repentance. And again, I could spend weeks just on this one subject, but I'm not going to. Everybody said, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God. Glory to God. Repentance. Can I just say what repentance is not? It's not, it's not just saying one prayer and, and getting teary-eyed. And it goes beyond just being sorry. Sorrow produces repentance. It is not repentance itself. But to truly repent, to truly die to self, man, that's a hard place to get to. I've often remarked to, to friends, you know, colleagues, whatever, people, that we, I, I think we have a tendency to, bat, to bury people in the waters of baptism who have never truly died. We're burying people alive a lot of times because repentance involves a true death to self, a death to identity, a, ambition of, of my concept of who I am. Everything that I bring to the table, you know, from my past life, everything that my parents have told me. I don't know if you remember the last time I spoke here, like probably the only thing you remember is that I played a clip of Disney, like Rafiki and Lion King. But the whole point was our identity in Christ. Remember who you are. It's not what your parents have told you. It's not what your work tells you. It is what God says about you. That's the basis of our identity. But to totally lose your identity... Like Paul says, it's no longer Paul, it's no longer me, it's no longer Sean that's living, but it's Christ in me. I died to the old self. I've told people many times, like some of the parts of my journey, I shipwrecked in my 20s. I grew up in, in church and I shipwrecked in my 20s. And in my 30s, I got serious about God. And what's funny is that when I got, when <laughs> I say when I got a hold of the Word of God, but really the Word of God got a hold of me. I had a new obsession. It wasn't one of those things that I had to go around walking all piously and boasting about, like, oh, look at me, I'm reading the Bible. It was just there. I was consumed with the Word of God. And there were interests that I had that were their hobbies that bordered on obsessions. Like, I was really into baseball. Like, I, I was the kind that would watch two games a night, one on my computer, one on the TV, I could tell you the stats of everybody in both leagues. I could tell you the minor leaguers coming up, the farm system. I was obsessed with baseball. But I have not watched more than, God, strike me if I'm lying, I have not watched 20 games total since 2013. It's not because I'm trying to prove how holy I am or that, that oh, I'm just too good for sports. I'm just, my interests changed. That's what I'm saying. It's supernatural. It's not me, but there was a death to self. True repentance is required for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The next one, it must be received by faith. The same faith that saves us, that says that we're forgiven, that God loved us and proved his love, by taking on the form of man, dying for our sins, the same faith by which we accept 
our entrance into the kingdom, our entrance into the faith, the, the salvation gospel message, the same faith that we had for that, we can apply to this. But why don't we have faith? Well, I think it goes back to the reasons I discussed. We've been taught against it. We're freaked out by it. We don't want it. We don't care about it. We don't think it's necessary. We think it's an optional experience. So I'm just going to go ahead and opt out. But there's nothing special required. Just faith. Faith in the one who saved you. Faith in the one who died, was buried, and was resurrected for you. Faith is how we receive this gift. The next one. And this one's really closely related. I debated whether to put this with one or not, but I think it deserves its, its own category. I think we have to have the desire. God is not going to supersede. Sure, God can do anything he wants, and anytime, I'm, anytime you make an absolute, you can always find, well, what about, okay, you got me. Find the what about, sure. Generally speaking, God is not going to supersede our will. Our will matters. One of the most unfortunate doctrines, I don't, I don't understand how, how, how people can say that we're just all puppets, that God has uh, already decided this and that and everything else, and we have no place. We're just, we're just a clump of cells just stumbling through the universe, just, okay, control me, God. I, I don't get that. Cover to cover, that is not the message of the Bible. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. How do we respond to the gift that's been given? One of my favorite topics to talk about, to, to preach on, to rant about, is we all want to talk about grace these days, don't we? Oh, I, I'm not under the law. I'm, I'm, not that, I'm not that type. Of, I'm a grace Christian. Thank God for grace. I am too. You know where the first place grace is mentioned? A lot of you, if you ever sat in my teaching more than like two minutes, you've already heard this. I talk about it every time. Grace is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. It's not a New Testament concept. Grace was first mentioned in the entire Bible with Noah. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of God. What did the grace of God do for Noah? Provided him. Oh, I'm so glad somebody fell for it. I'm not going to pick on anybody, but we think that. God saved Noah. But did he? God provided a plan of salvation that Noah chose to participate in. Grace provides a blueprint. It's up to us if we want to build the ark. If Noah hadn't taken out the hammer and nails and built for 100 years, been persecuted and called an idiot because rain has never come, if he had decided not to participate, he and his family would have been washed away in the waters of judgment just like the rest of humanity. The grace of God did not destroy all flesh. The grace of God provided a plan of salvation whereby he could be saved. It's not enough that the Passover lamb has been slaughtered. We must apply the blood to the doorpost. It is not enough that Jesus has died for our sins. We must choose to apply the blood of the lamb to our heart. We must participate in faith in the plan of salvation. And I'm telling you today, Jesus came to give you the Holy Ghost. Thank you. I deserve more than two claps for that. Not me, but for the truth of the word of God. Amen. I believe that to my, to my soul. That is my core conviction. 
But do we desire it? He's not going to supersede our will. If we don't want it, he's not going to force it on us. The last thing, very simply, we got to ask. Have you asked? Have you asked God to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's scary to you. I get it. I feel you. Maybe it's weird. Maybe you've seen abuses. Maybe you've been taught against it in your life. I feel you. It's okay. But if you want all that God has for you, you got to ask him for it. It's very, it's very simple. Let's go to my last passage, and I'm, I'm winding down. Luke 11. This is Jesus speaking. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, you think I'm hardcore, Jesus is just sitting there, you're all a bunch of evil fathers. If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Are you asking? Are you seeking? Is your life right? You don't have to get cleaned up to come get cleaned up. That's not what I'm saying. A lot of people mistake that message. I'm not saying be perfect and then you get the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can then become perfect. That's the way a lot of people unfortunately teach it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying where's your heart? Where's our heart? Do we really want all that God has for us or are we cool? I'm, I'm good with the experience I had 20 years ago at youth camp. Well, I'm good. I, I, I prayed. I prayed through a few weeks ago. I was there for five minutes instead of 30 seconds and I had a tear or two come to my eye, and Sister Rachel played that song that I like, and God really moved. I saw a reel or a TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, so it was, had to have been a reel. I saw this, this uh, preacher uh, talking recently, and it's, it's such a basic, simple illustration, but, man, it, it's so good. The, the obvious truths are the, the best truths, the ones that you're like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. It's not deep, but it's profound. And he used the analogy, you know, if, if my wife, if Kristen asked me, hey, Sean, would you mind doing the dishes for me? And I say, if I don't, are you going to divorce me? <laughs> well, no, of course not. I just thought it might be nice. Okay, then I ain't going to do it. Cool. Okay, whatever. She asked me, hey, Sean, can you take out the trash? If I don't take it out, will you divorce me? No. Hey, Sean, can you switch the laundry over? Are you going to divorce me if I don't? But how often do we treat God that way? Well, if I don't do this, am I going to go to hell? What are you talking about, bro? No, no, it's, it's not about that. Well, is he going to send me to hell if I, if I do this? Can I still go to heaven? If I, everything's a divorce issue with this without thinking about what type of relationship does that really give us? If everything that my wife asks of me is, if I don't, are you going to divorce me? What kind of relation? What kind of marriage is that? It may not that time, but eventually it's going to lead to that. That's not a relationship. That's not a marriage. That's not love. 
But how often do we treat God that very same way? I don't know if you relate to it or not, but man, that impacted me. How often do we treat God that way? Well, if I don't pray today, am I going to go to hell? (laughs) If I don't open my Bible, if I don't read through it in one year, am I no longer saved? Bro, it's not about that. What about our desire to have more of him, to have all that we can? You know, when you come to the realization in life, in your walk with God, that where we are currently, we currently have as much of God as what we want. Ooh, that's a hard, that's hard, isn't it? That's a hard standard that I apply to myself, and I attempt by God's grace to live it daily. We have as much of God as, is God the one holding back? Is God the one that's too busy watching Netflix? Is he the one too busy chasing career and chasing whatever else people like to chase? We're the ones that determine how much of God we want in our life. I want to put those four prerequisites back up. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us a chance to respond to this message. I've seen this, this message preached, maybe not exactly like this, but I mean it's Bible. So it's been preached for thousands of years. And I've seen it work. It's not about American hype. It's not about... It's, it's not about trying to work you up. You know, some, some, I grew up like with a Hammond B3 organ. That was the church sound back in the day. You know, if that organ hit that right now, you know, that, that wailing B3, that was, oh, we're really having church now. Today it's like fog lights and smoke machine and, uh, and pads and delay guitars and all the kind. We, our, our sound has changed. But even without any of that, I've seen... God's word be confirmed with signs following. Over in village huts, completely destitute. They don't have anything. They're not playing. They have no reason to play games with God like we have. It's not about status. You go to jail for being a Christian in some of those places. You get ostracized by your, your family, your parents. They have nothing to gain by coming and, and calling on the name of Jesus. They walk for miles in the heat. to come and worship Jesus, and I've seen this very simple gospel, this very simple message preached, this whole, have you received the Spirit since you believed? They don't know about spirit baptism. They don't know how to act. They don't know all the foolishness that we've seen on different Christian networks. They don't know how to act. They haven't been primed and pumped and preconditioned. But the power of God fall, and immediately different different languages are being spoken, Some may fall out under the power of God, a tangible manifestation of his presence so strong. I was talking to one of my preacher friends just last night about, like, I can count on my hand the amount of times that I've truly felt a strong presence of God. And that's not like, okay, yeah, I can feel him all the time because he's always around us. But I'm saying there's, there's some times that it's different. And there was one time when I preached, you know, we we went in teaching about spirit baptism. And the Lord showed me that they weren't ready for it because they hadn't truly repented. There was still unconfessed sin that was holding them back. So in the afternoon session, I went and preached a message of repentance. And it's not about me. It's about God, you know, using a donkey. But there was such a strong presence of God's spirit such a brokenness before God that maybe I've displeased him 
that maybe there's things in my life that I've, I've, let, I've let the cobwebs gather in the corner for too long. I've cut corners. I've, I've been okay with where I'm at with God. I've said, yeah, I, I'm okay with this much and no more. Whatever it is. But this message is true. It's just as relevant now as it was 2,000 years ago. I've seen it lived out is the point. I could tell you story after story. And, you know, anytime you, you give a missionary the microphone, you got to watch out because you're going to get bored with a million stories, right? That's the way some people feel about it. I've got stories I could bore you with about the goodness of God, his power, about confirming his word with signs following. There was a, there was a group of young people that we were speaking to in Nagaland, India. They're very nominal Christians, very cultural Christians. They haven't ever heard this message, but I go in and preach in it. You know, it's a different culture, so I don't preach it exactly the same over there that I do here. I, I mean, it's different, but it's the same message. It's the same Bible to people who had never heard it. And I, I, have, to, I have to admit, I, I got to tell on myself, I didn't have enough faith because they had never heard this. They didn't grow up, blah, 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 and all the different reasons. But my, my friend that I was with, Thank God one of us was actually saved for real. He had enough faith. He gave an altar call. He said, if any of you want to respond to this, it's available. If you want what we've just been teaching about, what he's been teaching about meeting me, if you want this gift of the Holy Spirit, all you got to do is make sure that your sins are confessed. Your heart is right. You want it. You're in, in correct standing with God. And God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're rich, poor, young, old, black, white, anything. He doesn't care about the stuff that we care about. He looks at the heart. And if you want this gift, there is more available to you. So if you haven't experienced it or if you need to re-experience it, I'm saying take this opportunity. We're going to give you an altar call here in just a second, an opportunity to respond. Uh, could somebody come help me play? It's, we don't need music. Thank you, Rachel. But it's nice to have music. Music is nice to worship God. And can I just say, you know, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not just responding to a nice song. It's not just feeling goosebumps because they played that, that right fast song that we all like to shout with or that right slow song that we all break down and weep before God. That's not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's the operation, perhaps. That's the Spirit moving, dealing with you. Sometimes it's just our soul. I, I cry to sad country songs. Doesn't mean it's God. You know what I'm saying? But if you want this gift, it's available to us. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Now, I find that less and less we are comfortable with praying with other people. We've gotten so accustomed to the whole telephone prayer thing where you take your turn, then I take my turn. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I was exposed to that. I was a, I was a, a junior in high school. I, I grew up around the crazy Pentecostal kind that it wasn't a prayer meeting if everybody wasn't hooping and hollering and shouting and foaming at the mouth and crying and carrying on. So this whole one person at a time prayer was very new to me. But I think now it's, it's the opposite. I think praying corporately can be new to a lot of us and unfamiliar. We're unsure of what to say or how to say it. So a lot of times, you know, we just stare at the lyrics on the screen. We don't open our mouth in worship. We just listen to a concert. 
or we just think about the goodness of God. But I'm telling you, if you open your mouth, let the air that God has given to fill our lungs. Did you know that the same word for spirit is the same word for breath in the original language? The breath, the spirit that God has given, let it escape your lips. In Jewish understanding, a prayer is not a prayer until it's vocalized, unless it's audibly heard. But vocalize your prayer to God. Don't just be content just to listen to the music, listen to other people. If it's quiet, that's okay. But pray. Tell God how much you love him. Make sure your heart's right. Those four, those four things, I'm, I'm telling you, if we've repented, if we want God, we want his holiness, everything that he has for us, if we ask him, just ask him. Can we do that right now? Can we pray? Just start by telling God how much you love him. Just worship him to begin with. Thank him for what he's done for you. Jesus, we worship you. We praise your holy name because all power in heaven and earth has been given to you. Lord, you are the everlasting father, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. Lord, I thank you for the, for the keys that you have won to death, hell, and the grave. I thank you for the sins that you've forgiven and placed as far as the east is from the west. I thank you for your precious holy blood that you shed for my sins. I thank you for the reconciliation that I have now available to me. Lord, I thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. I thank you for the outpouring of your spirit. I thank you for your word. Lord, all the blessings you've given me that I don't deserve. Lord, you've been so good to me. If you never do another thing, I have enough to praise you for all eternity. You've been so good because you are good. I worship you this morning. God, I pray for everybody in here that you move upon hearts and minds. Lord, draw those who are fence sitters. Draw them into a deeper consecration. Draw them into true heartfelt repentance. Give them a hunger and a desire for the for the things of your word, for your kingdom, for the, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Let this church manifest your presence.